0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Joshua Swamodos. We're going to be talking about intelligent design. So, um, Dr. Swamodos, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So today we're going to be talking about like intelligent design, like your views in ID and like how you've kind of like changed in your views with regards to the movement. So before we get into all that, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you got you interested in, questions like intelligent design? Yeah, so I'm a scientist.
1: Um, I've been a scientist uh, at Washington University, it's a secular university for over a decade. But you know, to become a scientist, I was a student for a long time that was really interested in science. Uh, and I'm also a Christian uh, that uh, you know really has a deep faith and has often wondered how to kind of fit those things together. And ID has been one of the ways at times that it has made sense to me and how to and how to think about uh, how to think about God in a scientific context.
0: So what got you interested in the intelligent design movement?
1: Well, I think it was when I was, um, well, I mean, it was when I was a lot younger, when I was uh, really, you know, kind of moving beyond young earth creationism, but really thinking through what, I mean, this would have been high school, where I was really trying to think through what it was, and how to explain you know, evidence for God. And of course, ID isn't about God per se, or directly, it's about a designer, but I think most of us know that, you know, the implication is that we're not talking about generic design, we're talking about divine design, and that's why it's considered to be important in, you know, the faith science conversation, Um, even though, you know, we can grant that the use of the term is more narrow at times. So that's, I mean, I was interested in it for those reasons, yeah, and I read, I read Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe later on, I found it really compelling, and uh, that that's kind of that's kind of where we were in the
0: 90s mm-hmm. yeah that's great so one of the things I really want to talk to you about Josh is like your views like towards ID um you've had a very unique story and like you talked about like coming from like a younger creationist um, viewpoint to where you are today like how have your views like changed towards like intelligent design over time because I know it wasn't just like one day everything changed but it's been like a it's been a journey for you
1: yeah. So for me, um, I think what really changed, so, I mean, at first it was kind of moving from like young earth creationist scientific apologetics to ID. Uh, but then as I kind of got farther and farther in my scientific education, you know, you know, I'd come with questions that I would be, you know, you know, I would have that I could start to get answers scientifically from. And I just started to realize that um, more and more just seeing it for myself, these weren't arguments against ID that I'm talking about. I'm just talking about getting a more solid biological education or education in biology at University of California, Irvine, where I was, really started to shift my view of this, where I started to realize, oh, I think there's some misunderstandings here that, um, that these ID, ID arguments have about biology as whole and also evolution, that may, maybe these aren't really as strong of arguments as I thought. Uh, and, and that that was that, that was that was one piece of it. The other piece of it was... I remember realizing at one point that wait a minute, Michael Behe has no problem with the common descent of humans and the great apes, the meaning is that he thinks that there is common ancestors that we have with chimpanzees, you know, gorillas, or any things, and bonobos. And for me, that was kind of surprising. And then he sat down. I mean, in his book, he actually explained why why that is, and that the, the evidence. He it, what was interesting to me is it became really clear that. You know, the evidence for ID wasn't really an evidence against evolution. At most, it was just going to be uh, an argument that God was involved in evolution somehow, and we had evidence for it. But it wasn't really an argument against common descent, and that 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 was that was a little bit surprising to me. And for me, like the big theologically challenging issue to work through was was you know the evolution of humans or the common descent of humans. And if evolution, I mean, and if ID wasn't going to help me with that. Um, uh, you know, it, its value just really started to, to really diminish, even if it were true. So part of it was I wasn't sure about the science in it anymore. But even if it was correct on the science, I wasn't sure what the value was anymore, because it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really helping me uh, think about human evolution.
0: So your big question then, Josh, was like trying to look at like the idea of like common descent. So like do humans like share like a common ancestor with like chimpanzees and monkeys and all kinds of other like um, species in that area? And then once you kind of saw that ID didn't really challenge that necessarily, like there's a lot of people like you talked about Behe um, who were fine with common descent. That was kind of like for you. it was like, OK, well, what really am I supposed to do with this like ID stuff?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it was, it's interesting, though, too. I mean, there's there's a lot, there's lots of the story. I mean, I've, I've been around ID for a very long time, too. I mean, I think part of the issue, too, is that, you know, you have ID who has no, I mean, Michael Behe who has no problem with common descent, but then there are others that do have a problem with common descent, but they're mm-hmm. not really ever en- engaging each other and coming to a consensus, which is a little bit puzzling, because that's how science works, you know? That's a pretty important scientific question. And typically, the way it works in science is you kind of sit down and with people, uh, you know, from different points of view, and you kind of hash it out and, and, and you do that. But that wasn't really happening in, in the ID movement. Um, it, it really seemed like it was more about arguing against uh, uh, a particular view of atheistic evolution uh, and kind of mistaking that as a scientific view of, of, of evolution, but without ever really kind of having that type of robust internal debate to come to consensus. So that, that, that. That puzzles me. I mean, that's something that I that I really didn't know if I could really trust. Um, so there are people who dispute common descent and ID, but that's not really what ID is about. ID is really about showing that there's evidence for design and God's in, in, in nature. Um, and so uh, that that isn't really as helpful uh, to the core questions that, that Christians have been coming to evolution with for a very long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, So, I mean, there's other pieces to it too, right? So ID, it's not merely about having space for God's role in evolution. They really want to have positive evidence for it. So, you know, as a Christian, I mean, I affirm evolution now. uh, And I think God was involved. I I just don't know the details of how, because that's how it usually is. Usually when God works, we don't know the details of how he did it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of times when we look at things that God has providentially governed, we use chance to describe it. A great example of this in scripture is, is lots. So lots is something that's kind of a strange concept for us. Cause we don't have that term really being used, but um, it talks about casting lots. It's pretty similar to casting dice, right? So, you know, is an anti-Christian to describe, you know uh, you know, the role of a dice in a casino as like random or probability. Well, no, it isn't. I mean, that's just one way of thinking about it from a human point of view, from a mathematical point of view. But we, we, we believe that God providentially governs everything, including the cast of every dice, the cast of every lot. And so uh, so that that's, that's not really a problem to talk about, for example, random mutations. All we mean is random from a human point of view. Um, in a very narrow, restricted, technical sense, but it's not talking theologically that you know that evolution somehow teaches or requires um, randomness. That from God's point of view, I mean, it just it just isn't even talking about that. But it's, it's just like a, it's a category error, right? So with that, I mean, it's just, it's just a simple thought like that. I mean, it's just basic theology. It's not even any, any, anything creative. This is just kind of the historical positions of the church. Why, um, you know, there isn't really a problem about, with, you know, not being able to find evidence of a particular sort of guidance in evolution. What would be interesting is if they actually had, you know, a strong scientific demonstration of it. Um, but then that, the, I mean, that's interesting, but it's not really solving a problem. I mean, it could be a really interesting thing, but it just, I mean, the arguments didn't really pan out when you knew more about biology And I, and I'm not Unique in this. I mean, there are certainly scientists that are strong ID proponents, but I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the vast majority of Christian scientists have uh, really moved beyond the ID at this point. Uh, So these aren't these aren't materialists. These aren't atheists. Um, You know, most of them um, are not publicly visible. But you know, if if you run into a Christian in in biology, chances are very high that they will have heard of ID um, maybe been slightly convinced of it for a time. But then as they got more biology education, they were just like, you know, this doesn't really, this doesn't really work. It doesn't make sense. And so, uh, you know, I I think that's just where it is. It ends up being something that um, on the surface level was really interesting, but it didn't pan out scientifically. And, And I think one of the key places we can see that is how so many Christians that are scientists, uh ended up you know just moving beyond it
0: okay yeah that's great so in your view then josh like what is the main like argument in terms of like what, what is what are people that are proponents of id what are they trying to establish like you talked a little bit about like trying to show like um problems with like a darwinian model of evolution but not even like evolution as a whole is that the main thing or is there something else when we're well i mean they say ID? that
1: they'll say they're trying to show the problem with darwinian evolution the question is what do you mean by darwinian mm-hmm. um they mean godless um usually right and sometimes that's equivocated with evolution by natural selection and random mutation. But here's the thing. I mean, evolution, as taught in science, is not godless. It's just silent about God. There's a difference between saying God wasn't involved in this and saying, we're just not dealing with that question. That's that's more what it's, it's doing. It's mainly not dealing with the question. <laughs> and and that, that you don't want to misinterpret that as denial of God's. In God's position, and you're entirely welcome to give a theology of nature that makes sense of it, as I just did here. To say that I think God guides evolution, and in, in you know ways that we haven't been able to figure out and detect yet. Not that because He's hiding it, just because there's limits to human science. You can say that. That's not controversial. That's not in conflict with science. All right. Um, so the other way to, I mean, so that that's why I mean, arguing against Darwin, I mean, evolution is kind of a little bit dependent on a straw man. This claim that scientific evolution is fundamentally denying god's involvement it's really not it's just not it's just not, mm. it's just not t- talking about it <laughs> and it doesn't really have any really good traction on it so what are they doing you ask is another thing i, I mean if you take their word for it they're trying to look for design in nature um, and they're trying to separate that from the conversation on god though so more recently they've been more open to talking about it being god's design but they're not interested in really finding design uh than a lot of the analogous places to divine design. So they'll often talk about how science does detect design and it does, it uses a particular method, a set of methods to do it. Um, Like, so they'll point to, for example, the Rosetta stone and how we kind of say, well, that was probably, you know, inscribed by a human. It wasn't just by like random or natural forces acting on a stone that caused that. And yeah, scientists do make that claim. The key thing, to make is this it's idea of detecting design is really not controversial in science what ha, what was controversial really was the particular arguments made in in biology in particular um to suggest that uh that that life was designed in a way that cannot be explained by uh by evolutionary science mm-hmm. and you know, in every other case, we look at design, we immediately start asking questions about who the designer is and how to make sense of that. And if the abilities of the designer actually match what's being said about the particular design and things like that, that's just how we do it in science. But that's not where ID goes. There's kind of like an artificial boundary there. We're supposed to talk about the design without ever considering the designer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's okay. I mean, they, they can they can make that proposal. I mean, they did. Uh, this isn't new stuff. This is stuff that's been around now since the 90s, Right. And a lot of scientists looked at it closely and engaged it, um, and a lot of scientists have relooked at it closely and engaged it, and it just it just ends up not panning out. It's just not. It's just too different from how we think about how uh, the science and how it works. And often there ends up being just uh, misunderstandings and even errors in the underlying science that's being inferred from. And so uh, you know, it, it's okay. I mean, at times people make bold. Exciting arguments that just don't pan out, and I think that's what that's what happened here.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have an example, Josh? Maybe like an like an argument that like people thought from ID, like this is it, this is gonna be like a really good thing and show ID is like a real thing and like evolution like can't do it all, and it kind of just like didn't pan out. Well,
1: I mean, one of the one of the great ones was uh, the reducible complexity argument, right? And it's important to recognize first of all that there was many, uh, there was many uh I see arguments, but the very first one was very focused, and it was brilliant in a lot of ways. So, um, because it was testable, so he basically defines the irreducible complexity in a way that can be tested. Basically, we'll take some things functioning, we'll start removing stuff from it um, to see until it stops functioning, and whatever's left, how many parts are, that's the irreducible unit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's not so really. Um, and then the claim was that you know evolution can't actually evolve uh, irreducibly complex things, right? And uh, and so now you have a way to test for whether something's irreducibly collect, uh, 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 you know irreducibly complex, and you have a way to actually you know I mean and then you know the, the claim is once again that, that means that it can't actually evolve. So there's like a brilliance to that in the sense that it's objective. You can actually objective. You can actually uh, test it. Um, the degree of uh, you know, irreducible complexity in a system. But here's where um, the problem is. It's the second inference, the idea that because it's uh, irreducibly complex, it can't evolve. That ends up being testable too because we can look at naturally evolving systems. We can do it in a Petri dish and ask if we can actually evolve you know, irreducibly complex systems. And it turns out that we can't. So irreducible complexity is something that we can actually measure in a system, but it's also something that, that can evolve. So now we have a problem here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that, 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 that's pretty well established to the point that when you know, Behe was really pushed on this, he acknowledged that and then he went back and revised the definition of irreducibly complex. And he's allowed to do that. Um, you know you're allowed to kind of come up with new definitions of a term and try and revise it and refine it. but then um, every single definition, uh, really starts to become harder and harder to test. And so, uh, you know, how do we test? Uh, uh, you know, you know his final book, I'm sorry, not his book, not his final book, his second book, this would be um, uh, uh, The Edge of Evolution, came out around 2010 or so, approximately. You know, what was striking about it is that, um, you know, the definition, uh, which he kind of equates in some ways to uh, to you know, irreducible complexity, is just that, you know, there's, a certain number of, um, of unselected steps uh, to get from here to there. Once again, we can see and observe on uh, many cases where evolution has no problem taking many um, unselected steps to get to a place. And then, but the bigger problem is this: How do you measure it? How do you know how many ex- unexpected steps there are? I'm sorry, any un- un, um, unselected steps there are between us and a chimpanzee, for example, no one really knows how to compute that. Uh, that that's kind of something that's just an unknowable quantity. Quantity. So, I mean, maybe uh, there is, but maybe not. I mean, I, and I asked Michael Behe about this in a debate once, um, you know, do you see any evidence for design in the evolution of humans? Like, in, you know, do you see any biochemical evidence for design? So do you see any irreducibly complex machines in humans that are not in chimpanzees? Do you see any non-selectable steps? Can you show there are any sets of like sequential non-selected steps that must happen for, um, for us to evolve from their cognitive of or chimpanzees? Um, do you see anything other than, you know, stuff that evolution can do in that? And, and he says, no, he doesn't really see at this time any biochemical evidence for, for design in humans. Now he does see evidence just in terms of our overall behavior, the sense that we have an, like the human mind is kind of an amazing thing. I mean, we, we can do things that chimpanzees do. That's not a scientific argument. That's maybe a philosophical argument. I think there's some, there's definitely reason to be surprised about that. But that's not a biochemical argument for design. And so, if all these arguments are really just about bacterial flagella, I mean, and not really about, you know, human evolution, what are they really about? I mean, I, I don't know why they're important and salient to people, you know?
0: Hmm. that's an intuition i've had josh like one of the things like when i've listened to or read to like um intelligent design people is like i'm thinking about like like if i'm going to make a case for like god um or like a creator of the universe am i going to really focus on like the bacterial like flagellum it just seems to me like it seems like it just seems to me like there's so much more that can be done um and i'm not trying to like negate the argument because everything is important but like i I think I share this intuition with you. Like there's gotta be something more than this. Um, like that can't be it in terms of like building a case. And that's one of the struggles I have with like um, understanding ideas, like trying to
1: like, yeah. yeah. Well, they would say there's more, right. And, and there mm-hmm. is, like, you know, but it's just that when you start to go into it deeper, it, it just doesn't pan out. Um, it's just, it doesn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Look, I mean I, I know what their response is, is their response is that there's just like an incredible bias against them in science. Um, and so their argument has really won the day and they're and you know, I think and you know it's because everyone's so biased against them that we can't see it. Now, I mean I, I do agree there is a lot of bias against them. I also agree that um, that that their argument really hasn't made it anywhere in science, that it should if it was such a strong argument. I think they have the causality wrong. I think the bias against them is really strong because people are are, are really really think it's a bad argument.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the ways how I think, I mean, I have evidence to kind of add to that is like how my book was handled. I wrote a book called "The Genealogical Adam and Eve" that really makes space for the de novo miraculous creation of Adam and Eve without parents, right? And that was endorsed mm-hmm. by atheists and it was considered good science because when they looked at the argument I made, they said it was good science. And um, I mean, I, I, I was careful not to put any bad arguments in my book. I was careful not to overextend my case and claim to have evidence that I didn't have. I was really cautious that way. And you know, scientists respect that. And so even though I did face bias against what I was saying initially, that bias was overcome. So that I think is the reality. I think there is bias against ID, but ultimately I think that bias can be overcome if they can focus on a strong, compelling, correct argument.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it's one of the, like my wonders with ID is I think about the idea of like, um, especially for people, like you talked about Behe, who accepts common descent. So he's accepting, like he accepts like an evolutionary st- story. It seems weird to me, like if you're gonna accept that kind of story of like um, how God brought about human beings, that you're gonna point out these like couple like um, or maybe that's that's unfair, but just pointing out a few things in biology, we're saying, hey, like evolution can't explain this. Um, it, it looks more like it's gonna be designed. Um, it looks more like a design. And it's just like these things that um, are smaller in the, and maybe not smaller, but it's just like these. I don't want to say random, but they're just things in biology that you wouldn't really. Like if God, like if you're saying God used evolution to explain everything else, like why not these couple of things that you're coming up with right here? That's one of the things with ID to me has always been a little bit puzzling.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, to be clear, I mean, I think their hope is, is that there's kind of like a, or their, their, their view is, is that science is like thoroughly atheistic right now. And mm-hmm. if you can find the clear cases um, where there's evidence of design and kind of push people to see that, then um, that could change the overall zeitgeist of science to be less thoroughly atheistic. And then you, know, you could talk about other stuff. I just think it's a bit of a misunderstanding of what's going on. I think science is um, pretty pluralistic and it is generally silent about God. We're interested mm-hmm. in you know, kind of the mechanisms we can study and pick up and look at. But you know if we can't pick it up and look at it, um, we're just not as interested in that. And if, and if people want to posit different theological views, people want to think even talking about miracles is really not something that's concerning us in science. The problem is if you start to make claims about science that aren't true.
0: Hmm. So Josh, I'm wondering like, what else, like what other criticisms, criticisms would you have of intelligent design? Cause obviously there's a lot of things here and your views have shifted over time. Like, is there other problems you see with like the ID movement and why you wouldn't like fall behind that kind of camp?
1: Well, I think maybe construct a way to put it, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a critic of the ID movement and it's pretty Mm -hmm. easy to find my criticisms, but I'm also friends with people there. Yeah. Um, I think the underlying motivation behind it can be quite good. So, you know, I think it's worth asking, you know, how could ID be a better version of itself? How could it really grow? Mm -hmm. I think, I I think one of the things that's going to have to happen, um, is more um, internal, um, more internal review and, and debate to the point they can actually come to consensus on key things. And you know, actually, I want to see the places where they can actually pull back bad ID arguments and say, you know, we made this argument, but we were wrong about this, you know, and, and we don't actually think that this makes sense. Um, and that's not an argument for our case. But this one is and this is why. I think that if they if they had started to have that kind of built into their community and that's what they were doing, not because they were forced to, but because they were really doing that well, um, uh, really you know pre-filtering and really make sense of it, that, that would be a big deal. That would be very different than how they've done things in the past. I think sometimes it looks like their strategy is, is kind of like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> And there's certainly this view there that um, of never publicly, you know, explaining where you disagree with someone in the ID movement. I mean, you can disagree with people elsewhere, and you can disagree with your enemies, but in the camp, there's no internal disagreements that are really discussed publicly. I think that that really undermines um, their credibility. Mm. Um, That's just not how science works. Um, It's just not how – it's it's just – it, it makes it so it kind of is offloading a lot of work onto other people to sort through what they're having to find out what might be viable and what might not be It's kind of offloading that to other people instead of really taking that task up themselves. And that, I think that, that'd be probably um, one of the most important things they could do uh, that, that could really build their credibility, increase the quality of their science and maybe um, help us see something um, that we miss. But right now, um, I I just don't think that's what's happening.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's an important um, question. is the question of, like, are you critiquing within your own group? Because it's important to, like, grow as people that just, like, want to see truth. So – and then Josh, you you hit it at this. Um, but you talked about like it's also important to think about like the good of people maybe that, like we disagree with, um, and like their ideas and things like that. So when you look at like the intelligent design movement, Josh, what are some of the good things you see the, coming out of it that might be helpful to you as like a scientist or as a Christian? Like what what good is there in like learning and studying from this movement in your view?
1: Well, I mean, some of the people are really good. Like you know, i have becoming friends with people like Richard Buggs and you know um, James Torr. And you know Walter Bradley, um, some of them are really good people that are real Christians. They're doing everything. I mean, they're they're doing. I mean, often they're doing very good science too, and they're and they're trying to be faithful where they are. I think that's one thing that's really really good about 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 the movement. I think also they're really trying to uh, trying to engage with the secular world instead of being in the Christian enclave. I think that's mm-hmm. really good too. Um, I think they're really trying to engage with science too. I mean, I think one of the things that I've always enjoyed about engaging with ID people is that I always learn something new about the science from you know all of the discussion that happens. I mean, science is just incredibly vast. Um, there's no way to read every paper, and you know, it, you know, having ID as a dialogue partner has been really fun because it kind of exposes me to parts of science I probably wouldn't have seen otherwise. So all of that's good. I think the part where um, I just can't go there with is on the legitimacy of, of, their, of their key arguments. Well, I should say some of their key arguments. There are some arguments they have that extend long. I mean, most of them you know, are out there long before ID and a lot of people have been making them long before ID, but some people would call them ID arguments. Examples of this would be things like the fine tuning argument, the cosmological argument. Um, those are examples of design arguments right and um, they're of a different uh, class I would say than of many of the biology arguments and they tend to be a lot stronger and more interesting and they also have deeper history and they also tend to be based on good science so <laughs> so it's not to say that you know science and theology can't interact on this stuff and they can't be arguments to be made it's just that we we really need to focus them in on, on on the best ones there are, and sometimes we don't need the ones that we have that we think we mm. or we have, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that's great because like someone like you, Josh, maybe might disagree with like the biological arguments that are like irreducible 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 complexity. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. Um, like these kind of arguments, you might like have an issue with them, but like there's other arguments that these people would bring forward, like maybe like a cosmic fine tuning or cosmological argument that you might actually have a lot more sympathies towards. Um. I think it's important to show that just because it's like, hey, we're not on completely different sides of the field if you're maybe like a critic of ID versus like a proponent of ID. So I think that's super helpful. Um, am I wrong anywhere in that?
1: Yeah, I would, um, I would say yes, though. I mean, just historically, most, I mean, a lot of those arguments existed long before ID. So just mm-hmm. keep that in mind. <laughs> it's yeah. not like they're the ones who invented it. So that's important. I mean, a great example. I mean, I've become really good friends with Bill Craig, right? So, um, in a lot of ways, he's been pretty closely associated with the ID movement. Um, but he also has no problem with common descent, and um, I mean, I'll let him speak for himself about where he stands with ID. But you know, the uh, the the places where he's really been, made the biggest contributions are on is in the cosmological argument, right? And I think there's legitimacy to the cosmological argument. I think there's a lot of debate about it. Um, but the debate isn't about you know, whether or not Bill is you know, basically a pseudoscientist. That's not it. He's, what he's saying is that I'm not making a scientific argument. I'm making a philosophical argument that's based on good science. And the science he puts forward is either consensus science or it's solidly within the range of disagreement among consensus scientists. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Check with you. And then he
1: applies philosophy to that to make sense of it. And he's very clear in that move that when he's starting to kind of make that argument for God, he's not doing science per se. It is philosophy, it's science engaged philosophy. And, um, and, you know, people are going to disagree with Bill. I mean, like Richard Dawkins is going to disagree with Bill about about his argument at different points, right? Lawrence Krauss. Is going to disagree with them. And, you know, there's some interesting exchanges with Bill Craig and Lawrence Krauss where it doesn't really seem like Lawrence Krauss gets the science right, but it looks like Bill Craig did, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that's that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think the church should be involved in that sort of stuff, and we can debate that. And maybe those arguments will pan out. Maybe they won't. Um, that's not really where, like, the foundation of our faith lies. The foundation of our faith lies on what God did in, in history to build himself. By raising this man Jesus from the dead, mm-hmm. and so um, and so that I think is, is I would say is a, like a healthy way to think about it with what's going on with Bill Craig in that it's science engaged, it's philosophy, it's design argument of some sort, but he's not he doesn't need it to be science per se, and it's based on good science though, and um, and also it's also not it's it's a good argument I'd say, but it's not also where everything rests. The foundation is still still the resurrection. It's not really, it's not really cosmological argument. And I think that's kind of like a much more healthy um, and a productive sort of engagement that I think we'd aim for. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and I don't think that that's as typical in the ID movement. I mean, I think that you can have all of that and affirm all of that without being ID. And, and that's kind of where I am. I mean, I, I'm not ID. I believe that God designed us all because He created everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look at what ideas really uh, really emphasize, it's been things that just you know and while I'm sympathetic to, it just didn't pan out. and ultimately, um I, I need to kind of do what's going to be good science not merely is you know something that I, I'm kind of inclined to and would like to be correct, you know mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think that's great, Josh. One more question I have for you and then we'll wrap up here. It's this idea of something I've been wondering a lot about and I'm just curious what your views are, if you have any. Um, But one of the things I always like thought growing up was there was like one view of evolution where everything is just like totally random and there's no teleology, nothing else beyond like mere like random mutations and natural selection. So I'm curious, Josh, like in your view, like in the scientific community, do a lot of people still hold to that view? And like, where do you stand? Like, do you think like there's um maybe not consensus views, but like views that are like accepted within like mainstream science that would not hold to like a purely like random version of evolution. So yeah, I was curious well, to on that. There's
1: a debate in science about how much is contingent versus how much is convergent. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so there's a debate and there's a trade-off. I mean, there's some stuff that's contingent. It has to do with, random effects right that you can't really predict ahead of time but then there is a component depending on what you're looking at it does seem to be reproducible and how much of what well i mean a large part of it depends on what precisely you're looking at and at exactly mm-hmm. what level you're looking at and all that so to some extent i wonder i mean i worry a little bit about or often about just uh the debate some of this debate is just people are looking at different things and if you look at different things you'll see a different thing dominating but it really is kind of this, this issue that we do see patterns and we do see randomness or, you know, kind of things and we're not sure where it's going to go. It's both those things we see. Now, how do you think about that from a Christian point of view? As a Christian point of view, you know, you can say that, you know, the stuff that was kind of like these things that are repeated, maybe that is uh, maybe that is kind of stuff that God has built into the way how the world works to kind of reproduce things. And you can see teleology there, maybe. But I, I would be cautious about seeing that as, um, that is the good and the other side being the bad, because, you know, that's also the other place is a place for God's choice. And, you know, and things that are random to us could be what God's divine providence is really governing and, and, and really, you know, doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So really all of it, I think, is God. And I think <laughs> I mean, it is under God's governance, I should say. And I don't really see the, the push and pull. What I would say is, I think, is ha- hopefully happening more and more in recent years is that both Christians and non-Christians alike are, are, are more broadly appreciating how silent evolution is on most of this stuff. It doesn't really settle um, most of these debates because it's largely silent about theological uh, concerns in, in God. And so that, that, that creates a lot of flexibility, honestly. I mean, evolution you know, can be told with this theologically potent atheistic story. I mean that's going to be a problem for Christians, okay? But that's not that's obvious. But it can also be told in a way that's far more neutral, that makes space for a lot of different ways of engaging with it. And I think that's really what the where science is right now, and really trying to, um, to be clear about what we have found, but um, but, but also you know try and not tell it with the theologically loaded um, baggage um, to the extent that we can. Mm-hmm. And that's well, good Josh. For mm-hmm.
0: right? Yeah, no, it's it's great to try, try to like um, examine these views and think about these things and just try to find truth and be willing to like um, have different views and like really think about these things. But yeah, that's great. Um, Josh, do you have any like last thoughts or things you want to say and like how people can connect with you before we wrap up here?
1: Yeah, if you want to know more about how I'm thinking about how it all fit this together, definitely look at the genealogical Adam and Eve. It's a book I wrote a little while ago that, you know, yeah, you know, I was really blessed. It really changed the conversation how people are talking about a lot of this stuff and showed how to make sense of the story of science alongside the story of scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know more too, we've written a lot at peacefulscience.org uh, where you can kind of get see a lot of discussions from a lot of people about how we're really trying to make sense of all of this together and really think about the grand question of what it means to be human. Mm. But um, I think the really exciting thing and in both these things, both peaceful science and the geological avenue, where we are is I think we, just have a, we have an opportunity to move beyond the, the, the ID debates. Um, you know, they've been ugly. They've been bruising. Um, it hasn't really gotten ID to where it's even wanted to be in science. I mean, they'll, they'll tell you themselves that it hasn't really panned out in terms of convincing a lot of people. And, and that's that's okay. We can move beyond it and, and find a better conversation. So that's my invitation to you. Let's, let's find that better conversation together.
0: Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on today. I really encourage people to check out Josh's book. I read it. It's a great book. Um, and you have your peaceful science.org website as well. I encourage people to check that out as well. And thank you so much for coming on today, Josh. I really appreciate it. i really grateful for your time. And thank you to everyone who's listened to this conversation. I hope you found this edifying um, and found something you can take away from this. And yeah. Thank you so much, if you're new here, I always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you value our content, you can become a patron at patreon.com, so you can hear um, Your support means a lot. But Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. So yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Have a good one, and God bless.